south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Hey, my email stack is getting pretty big. Let's dig into it. This one's from Tyrone. He says, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. You've been harping on for years about getting a water purifier for your home, even carrying a portable one with you when you're traveling. At first, I thought it was overkill, but you've convinced me. Though, I figured, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. Even if in the end it doesn't do much, it's good peace of mind. But now, just recently, we've been bombarded with articles talking about how impure our water is. It's sickening. Sorry, I doubted you, Johnny. Well, it's my wife, actually, who doubted you. She doubts most of the things you say, but not enough to stop listening to your show. Aside from that, can you send me the link to the gravity water purifier you recommend on Amazon? Signed, Tyrone Shoelaces. (laughs) Yeah, I guess old Tyrone's a boomer, all right. Do any of you guys and gals out there recognize that name, Tyrone Shoelaces? It's from an old, long-forgotten Cheech and Chong skit. Cheech and Chong, does that ring a bell? I bet today's Gen X and Y and Zers never heard of Anyway, Tyrone, talking about the water contamination problem worldwide now, especially in bottled water, says it's sickening. Yeah, it's sickening, all right. Sickening the whole world, and they don't even know it yet. Though some people refuse to acknowledge it. They'd rather be on Dickcock and watching reality shows. Or sports. Just a few days ago, you know, another very scary series of articles came out about the terrible junk in tap water and bottled water. And here, we all thought buying bottled water was a good thing. In Latin America, it's a huge thing. Every day I see trucks carrying hundreds of those five-gallon bottles of water. Drivers on motorcycles dropping them off at people's homes everywhere, too. You just phone up one of the local private water companies or the local grocery store, and they'll deliver one right to your house in five minutes. And everyone thinks it's a good thing. Everybody's happy. Meanwhile, the news gets worse and worse. In a new paper published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, chemists using a technique called Raman scattering microscopy, which can detect particles down to the size of a bacterium or virus. They measured hundreds of popular bottled water brands in the U.S. They discovered, to their surprise, yuck, 240,000 particles of plastic in each liter of bottled water. They found a similar amount in every bottled water sample tested, 90% of which were nanoplastics. This is 10 to 100 times larger than previous estimates. Are you getting this? 240,000? thousand particles of plastic in each liter of bottled water. Yeah, right. And why do you buy bottled water? Because you think it's pure, right? Man, what a tragedy. Now, of course, the IBWA, that's the International Bottled Water Association, is scrambling for answers. And what do you think they fear? Well, not the damage to public health, but class action lawsuits. After all, their marketing campaigns claim their water is as pure as the driven snow. 
Though, unfortunately, the driven snow is loaded with plastic nanoparticles, too. (laughs) Not quite false advertising, anyway. So, in a press release, just the day after that study came out, an International Bottled Water Association press release said, quote, Bottled water is just one of the thousands of food and beverage products packaged in plastic containers. It said that bottled water companies are at an unfair disadvantage when it comes to this study because the National Academy of Sciences is focusing on bottled water only. They should be focusing on other plastic containers. The worst offenders being ramen noodle cups put into the microwave, styrofoam cups that have warm liquids in them, plastic red beer cups that continuously leak nanoplastic into beer, sodas, and other beverages. And anything hot or warm served in paper cups, like Starbucks cups. All are sprayed with a plastic coating. If not, liquids would saturate the paper cup and leak through to the other side. Hmm, you know, ever since I've been doing this show, at least 12 or 13 years now, I've been talking about this contaminated water problem. Of course, way back when, we were simply discussing how governments lie to us about practically everything. So why wouldn't they lie to us about the safety of our municipal water? Now, of course, in Latin America, when it comes to municipal water, governments down here always advise their clients not to drink it. In fact, if you've ever traveled overseas, I'm sure you've seen a little sticker in the bathroom of your hotel room that says, this is not potable water. Sure, governments down here in Latin America are lazy-ass slugs, but they know enough to tell you not to drink the municipal water. Meanwhile, I still run into the occasional gringo or expat who tells me his particular city has great water, or this U.S. city or that Canadian city has this really fantastically pure mountain water that you can drink right from the tap. And you know what? Not only do I call bullshit on that, I can't believe anybody with a half a brain would even bring it up. How can you believe that when they pump chlorine and fluoride in all the U.S. water supplies? Worse yet, there's always been that false security when you buy bottled water. When people find out their bottled water is loaded with contaminants too, they're outraged for a minute, but keep on buying and drinking the stuff. Though I have to admit, I know lots of scientific types and engineers who will not drink bottled water. Of course, they'll never drink tap water either. They're filtering their own. Though some seemingly outraged people go right back to drinking bottled water. In fact, just yesterday I was visiting an expat gringa lady at her apartment. I walked in, sat on her balcony, and she said, you want a beer or some wine, a cup of coffee? I said, black coffee, no sugar, no nothing, would be just fine. She said to her cleaning lady, who was there at the time, can you make Johnny a cup of coffee? The cleaning lady walked to the little kitchen area. I was watching, she has an open floor plan. She grabbed one of those very common stovetop aluminum espresso makers. You've seen those things. They're everywhere. But cooking food and brewing coffee with aluminum kitchen utensils? Uh Uh-uh. I'm again it. She tipped the big plastic five-gallon, got a phone of water she had propped up on her countertop, filled up the aluminum espresso thing with that micro and nanoplastic contaminated water, packed the little reservoir with coffee shoved it on the stove and made me a contaminated cafe americano. So, did I drink it? Well, I made like I drank it. I went through the motions, lifted it to my lips a few times, so as not to insult her. Here's the thing, that expat lady of the house is living in Latin America because of me, because of the show. Well, at least I had something to do with it, because my show is all about getting the hell out of Dodge, right? She tells me all the time my show got her going on her plan B. But hey, you know what they say, you can 
lead a horse to water, contaminated or otherwise, but you can't make them drink. That said, I have a question for you listeners. Whether you're living in Latin America or up in the States or Canada, the UK, anywhere. When you're at somebody's house and invited for dinner or lunch, whatever, and you see that big five-gallon jug of bottled water on the countertop, knowing there are 250,000 micro and nanoplastic particles floating around in every liter of that thing, and that's what they cook with and drink, and they're serving it up to you. Are you okay with that? If you're not, how do you refuse and get out of it gracefully? After all, this last year, 2023, everybody found out, or anyone who reads the news anyway, that plastic is everywhere in water, the air, and our food supply. In fact, you've probably heard that the average person ingests a credit card's worth of plastic particles a week or month, depending on which articles you read, with some of the more recent studies showing that's a huge underestimate. So what do you do? You can either throw in the towel and ignore it, or possibly bring your own home-filtered water with you when you go to a restaurant in a stainless steel or glass container. It would be kind of strange to bring that over to your friend's house if you've been invited to dinner, let's say. So then what are you supposed to do? You know, I carry a glass bottle of water in my car, and when I go into a restaurant, I bring it with me. You know, my girlfriend, she didn't think I was nuts, but she did scold me for it, saying, they're not going to let you into a restaurant with your own bottle. And I said, oh, yeah? watch me. And you know what? No one, not a waiter or waitress, has ever given me any trouble. Though it still seems to be slightly embarrassing for my girlfriend. It reminds me of my sister. You know, she's a dentist up in the States. She carries a little vial of special toothpicks in her purse. And when she's at restaurants, she'll occasionally pull one out and stealthily use it. She said her boyfriend or date would give her a look as if to say, that's not cool. I mean, hell, you'd expect that kind of action from clients at a truck stop, but not a high-class restaurant. She said, yeah, well, I'm a dentist, and when it comes to the oral cavity, I have a special dispensation. Anyway, it must have been tolerable enough for her last boyfriend, because she ended up marrying the guy. And she still totes those things around in her purse. And she whips them out when she feels like it. Hmm. I'm wondering what would happen if you brought your own water into a restaurant up in the States, Canada, Europe, whatever. I bet they'd give you shit about it. Because, you know, I've noticed in some restaurants, of course, I'm talking about here in Latin America, right on the front door or in the entranceway, there'll be a couple of small stickers that say, no guns, no smoking, no dogs, no food or beverages. I know up in the States, they're really strict about that. But down here in Latin America, everything's negotiable. All right. Speaking of listeners named Dave, if you think Dave's not here, well, he is. Dave number 46, anyway. (laughs) He writes and says, Johnny, I'm curious about your thoughts about a plan B in Guatemala versus El Salvador. As you know, Max Kaiser has been promoting the new El Salvador visa and passport program that costs a million dollars. I'm a bit corny myself, but I do not have that kind of money lying around. Dave says, the things that are going on in El Salvador are very exciting, such that I think it could be the Singapore of the Western Hemisphere. However, I wonder if too many gringo Bitcoiners pile into El Salvador, if it won't turn El Salvador into another Costa Rica and ruin the gringo advantage. In contrast, he says, I've been to Guatemala and it does not seem as exciting as El Salvador, but moving to a place where the gringo advantage will last much longer has certain advantages. Signed, Dave, number 46, from Tulsa. All right, Dave, thanks for that. Now, first off, let's talk about this passport for El Salvador that's supposed to cost a million bucks for Bitcoiners. Or I guess anyone that has a million bucks. 
Personally, I think that's outrageous because you could buy a passport from a nice Caribbean country like Antigua or St. Lucas for slightly over 100K. By the way, for all you listeners out there who think selling passports for money is slightly dodgy, as the Brits would say, on the dark side, even criminal, it just doesn't set right, does it? Well, did you know that Canada, all the countries Europe, and the U.S. do exactly the same thing, though they don't advertise it? For example, if, let's say, you're a person from France and you want to get a U.S. passport instantly, or practically instantly, you can get a hold of the U.S. State Department and say you're going to invest 2 or $3 million in a business, hire X amount of people, et cetera, et cetera. You just need a passport, and they'll give you one. You just have to give them a nice, solid business plan and come through. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of cases of very rich foreigners who've gotten a passport instantly in the U.S. by making a substantial investment in the country. By the way, there's a name for it. It's called Passport and Nationality by Investment. So try to get the evil thoughts out of your head about programs that exist where you get a passport for an investment. Practically every country will do that in one way, shape, or form, but first world countries don't advertise it. Simply because it doesn't quite sound right, does it? Sounds dodgy. So then why do countries even do it? Every country these days is completely broke and wants your money. Or money any way they can get it. But you know, I personally think that El Salvador made a big mistake by jacking it up to a million bucks. I say it should have been more like a hundred thousand. Then they would have got a boatload of Bitcoiners coming in right away. Not that there aren't boatloads of Bitcoiners moving to El Salvador, or at least investing in El Salvador right now. Though, as to Dave's concern about Bitcoiners piling in and ruining the gringo advantage in Salvador. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been to Salvador many times, and it seems that gringo advantage is getting stronger every day. Seems counterintuitive. How can that be? Well, the locals are seeing what the gringo Bitcoiners are bringing in. They're investing in businesses, housing, and infrastructure projects. Basically, a whole different kind, a whole different class of gringos as compared to the ones that have piled into Costa Rica. The fact is, because the Bitcoiners are coming in and spending their money providing jobs and developing infrastructure, the locals have never had it so good. Except for one thing. The cost of living in the areas where the Bitcoiners are going, that would be around Bitcoin Beach, most of the surfing areas on the coast. Well, I can tell you in the last few years, real estate prices have really gone quite wild. However, it seems to me that Bitcoiners like specific little areas, so that's where they're settling and building. Meaning the land elsewhere, out in the boonies especially, is pretty damn cheap. And the building costs very low, which is true of most of Latin America. Now, of course, there are a lot of first-world American-style developers coming in, building beautiful first-world-style residential neighborhoods. So if you deal with an English-speaking American-style builder, you're going to pay at least 100 bucks a square meter, which is like 100 bucks a square foot for construction costs. However, if you speak Spanish and hire a local contractor, a lot of them are very good. You could build first world style for half that, 50 bucks a square foot or even less. It all depends on how hands-on you want to be. The other thing that must be said is that most of the gringos and expats coming in and moving to Salvador are very educated, a lot of them nerdy, hyper-intelligent, like-minded people. A cross-section of the Bitcoin slash crypto crowd. A big contrast to the gringos who've invaded Costa Rica, so many of whom are retired school teachers and government workers. The towns and cities are loaded with woke libtards, and the beaches are loaded with California surfer dude party hardy types too. Exactly the kind of gringos and expats you don't want living next door. Which is not true at all of El Salvador. 
The Gringo is the next patch you meet down there are mostly independent, creative, educated, thoughtful types. Sure, they've got their share of surfer dudes coming in and out because El Salvador's got some special beaches. It's known around the world for great waves on certain beaches, but seems to me it's a different kind of surfer dude than Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, surfing is secondary and partying tops the list. In fact, I remember my little beach cabin in Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica. It's about two blocks from the beach. There were many, many nights when I'd hear partiers whooping it up on the beach all through the night. They wouldn't sleep. I never saw or heard that happen once. Nope, not once on the beaches in Salvador. It's just a different class of people. So in the end, Dave, both Guatemala and El Salvador have a very strong gringo advantage that's not going to diminish soon. But a million bucks for nationality and passport? I'd skip it. Instead, I'd go for permanent residency and wait it out. I think it's five years. Then you can automatically apply for citizenship. Though you'll have to spend quite a bit of time in El Salvador during that five years to qualify, but it will save you a million bucks. Now, here's an email from Greg. He says, Johnny, I wonder what you think about this. I just changed car insurance companies in Guadalajara, Mexico, where I live, from Chubb to GNP. They offered me to install free LoJack in my car. Wonder if maybe they have that where you are. Wonder what you think about this or you know anything about it. I'm kind of thinking maybe it's kind of a trap since most policies pay on what they call total robo or total robbery, meaning if the car is never recovered, I get paid. Also, I wonder if someone can be watching my movement with the car if I have low jack. Not sure what third party might be watching, but who knows? What do you think, Johnny? Signed, Greg. Well, Greg, thanks for that. I got a lot of thoughts on the subject. First of all, you know my recommendations about cars. I always drive a car that's a couple years old. In good condition, but a couple of years old. You see, in Latin America, they like to steal new cars or light new cars for various reasons, resale, parts, etc. Now, as far as LoJack, I trust LoJack itself, but you can't trust people running your LoJack system, no matter where you are. They've been hacked and their client list found on the dark web. To me, it's just an expensive feel-good app. Because, you know, you can go on Amazon right now and for around 100 bucks, even less, you could buy... A tiny little tracker unit you can install in your car includes a cell phone app. Then, if your car ever gets stolen, you could track it, pinpoint it exactly, no matter where they take it. How do I know about these things, and are they any good? Well, that's because in a past life, I was an engineer, and I buy lots of gadgets. You know, that partial nerd gene and stuff. Though, I'm not a complete nerd because I'm missing two important nerd genes. One for gaming. I never played video games, never got hooked. And I'm missing a gene for programming, you know, writing code. I can do it, or I used to be able to do it because they taught that in engineering school. But I always thought it's so damn boring. I just could never get into it. It makes me sleepy. For me, a great cure for insomnia. Anyway, not so long ago, a friend asked me about those car tracking systems because his teenage kid just got his license. And of course, daddy always lets his kid use the car, right? But he wanted to make sure the kid wasn't lying to him wanted to track where he was going. So he installed one of these things in his car. I helped him. And the kid never knew and still doesn't that his dad tracks him everywhere he goes. In fact, last time I saw my gringo buddy a couple months ago, he said, Johnny, you just can't believe how teenagers lie. I said, that's easy to solve. Don't let them use the car. But American dads, gringo dads included, coddle their kids to the point where it's sickening to watch. I saw it with my own sister's kids. You can't imagine how many times I wanted to slap the shit out of them. And now that my sister's kids are whiny, wimpy 30-somethings, 
My sister finally confessed to me that she was not such a good parent. She was short on discipline. And I said, short? You never, ever said no to him, not once. I think I might have told you this. My sister's son crashed three of their cars before he was 20 years old. Man, if he was my kid, I'd have kicked the shit out of him every single day till he straightened up. But that's another story. Oh, and did I tell you, when he turned 20-something and still living with my sister, who was now divorced, he didn't want to move out. And my sister didn't have the heart to kick him out. Finally, my sister and her ex-husband bought him a freaking house just to get rid of him. See what I mean? They would have been better off kicking the shit out of him. Man, am I glad I'm living down here in Latin America? I can't tell you. Anyway, Greg, I think I'd skip the offer to install LoJack Free in your car. Oh, and by the way, if you buy one of those trackers for your car from Amazon, most of them have a $5 or so monthly fee because they're connected constantly to the internet. Now, I don't have a tracker like that for my car, though I don't have any kids either. And I think if I had kids and I let them use my car, I'd consider getting one. Though I wouldn't be stealthy about it. I'd tell my kid, this is the deal. You use my car, it's my car, and I'm going to track you. However, if you get a job and get your own car, it's all yours. I won't try to track you or interfere at all. Anyway, I've always put cutout switches on my cars. When I buy a car, usually the next weekend, I'll take a couple hours and install a cutout switch. That's a little switch hidden in your driver's side compartment somewhere. If it's not switched on, the car won't start. Just won't turn over or there'll be no spark to the ignition. Anyway, it costs all of 10 bucks or less for the parts. And any half-assed do-it-yourselfer can install one. I have a report and a diagram I could send you if you want to install one yourself. So what I do is, every time I park my car, I flip the switch to off, making it impossible for anyone to start my car, even if they cloned a key or the key fob. Though if and when you sell your car, you better advise the new owner. Oh, and here's a tip. If you're going to park in a long-term parking lot, just go into your car's fuse panel and pull the fuse for the starter. It's always highlighted right on the back of the fuse box. Starter or ignition, IGN. Then no one will ever be able to start your car, even if they've cloned your key or your key fob. Then when you come back a day or a week or a month later, just pop that fuse back in and you're good to go. Now, on the same subject you may have heard lately, there's been a rash of car thefts throughout the States, Canada, Europe, mostly very late model Kias and Hyundais, I hear. Well, here's what you didn't know, or most people don't know anyway. Thieves have perfected the art of stealing the code from the key fob, even when it's sitting on the kitchen counter or hung on a hook by your door or sitting in your pocket. You know, I was never really hot on those key fobs myself, you know, where you don't even have a key attached, it's just a fob with buttons. What a name, huh? Fob, F-O-B. Anyway, the tools and the little kit that makes the theft fast and easy can be purchased right on the internet. They've even got YouTube videos on it. Just look up how to override or clone a key fob. Worse yet, there's an amplifier available, very cheap too on the internet, that allows criminals to amplify your key fob signal when it's sitting in the kitchen or in your pocket or far away. So crooks can copy your key fob signal from up to a block away. So all they have to do is pick you out of a crowd, follow you to your house, park out in front while you go into your garage or your kitchen, whatever, and scan their device for your key fob signal. The whole problem revolves around the smart key systems that use non-secure commercial radio waves to signal your car when you press the key fob. 
As you know, with your key fob, you can unlock your door, start your engine, even open the trunk from a great distance away. That's all the signal the crooks need to clone it. According to expert car thieves, they can clone your device in 20 to 30 seconds. So then how can you avoid that? Well, just have a cutoff switch. Like I said, you can't start the car when the switch is off, even if you have the original key and key fob. Another easy hack is when you get home, always store the key in a metal container or one of those bags with a metal wire mesh in it called a Faraday cage. If you have one of those passport pouches that hooks onto your belt, they have a hidden metal mesh in them. So crooks can't scan your passport or credit cards as you walk by. That'll block a key fob transmissions too. Though the quick and easy fix is just to have a metal can sitting in your kitchen and you throw your key fob in there every time you walk into the house. Because, I repeat, anytime your key fob's just sitting on a table or carried in your pants pocket or in your purses, ladies and gay guys. Oh, and artsy-fartsy straight guys sometimes have purses too, right? In any event, if you're just carrying it around as usual, it can be hacked. The thing is, what people don't know is there's always communication between the key fob and the car itself. By the way, crooks are stealing lots of high-end boats that way, too. Since it seems everything with a motor has got a key fob these days, right? Even boats. I don't like them myself. I prefer a key. How about you? By the way, did you ever have the battery die in your key fob? That's a time for panic, right? Unless you know how to pull the little hidden key out of the key fob. There's always one stealthily buried in there somewhere. The trick is how to find and detach it. There's always a secret little latch. And if you never checked it out, and I don't think 90% of the population ever has, you'll be in a panic when you're stuck in a parking lot and your car door won't open. I've been there. How about you? The thing is, I don't know how many cars are stolen in Latin America. But in the States, they do keep those statistics. And according to the National Insurance Crime Bureau, from the U.S., that is, it says that almost a million cars were stolen in the U.S. in 2023. Have you ever had your car stolen? You know, since I've been putting in those cutoff switches in my cars, probably like 25 years now, I've never once worried about it. Though there have been a couple of times when I've been in a big shopping center and I just couldn't locate my car. Sometimes, for just a half a second, you think, did it get stolen? I'm thinking, I hope that I flipped that switch to the off position. Yeah, well, so how many times have you lost your car in a parking lot, only to find it like 10 minutes later? Happens to everyone, I think. But seriously, I'm really sick of everything having a remote control or a key fob these days. I'm expecting to buy a new washing machine and finding it's got a key fob too. Why does everything have to be smart these days? We don't need smart. We need dependable. Oops, we're getting towards the end of the show, so I'm going to plug my seminar. You know, I've got my March 2024 seminar coming up. And as this show goes out on January 14th, 2024, that means you have just a little over two weeks to sign up for the seminar and get in on those early bird discounts. Because remember, on February 1st, we're back to regular pricing. You can check out the schedule, the details, the agenda, etc. at expatplanb.com. And remember, there's a three-payment plan. So if you sign up and pay the first payment before February 1st, you still get in on the early bird discount. So do, by all means, go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.